This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be hard. Like early 90s heavy metal hard. I'm yelling and screaming and I'm loud. Roar! Geico makes it easy. You can review and update your policy or report a claim on Geico.com or the Geico mobile app. Because shouldn't we all have a little less stress in our lives? I'm not even upset about anything! Welcome to Real Jam Radio. I'm Danny Wu, your host, and so happy to have you with us for this episode. I wanted to do a trade deadline recap, and Seth Partnow of the Nylon Calculus is one of my favorite people to talk to about this sort of thing, and our conversation runs about an hour 15. I did this right after doing the Dunked On Basketball podcast with Nate Duncan, and this is very different. This isn't designed to recap exactly what happened, you know, to go through the, the minutia of the deals. It was more big picture to kind of talk about the different ways teams build and the way the teams adapt to the situation that present themselves. And I think that we go through a different, different order. There are timestamps that are on this. So if you're somebody who wants to hear about a specific thing, you should be able to get that either through the website or it should be in the description for this, depending on how you enjoy this podcast. So conversation runs about an hour 15. I hope you enjoy it. Thanks so much for coming on. Uh, it's uh, we're it's over. We're back to basketball. Good times. Back to basketball, but we're gonna talk about it in a little bit of a different way today. And we're gonna dwell on the past in this. Podcast. We're gonna we're gonna dwell on the immediate past, and yes. we're gonna start with somebody who is dwelling on this slightly more oh, distant oh. past. Our good friend Rock Divers. Oh, that is a segue. That that's that's I I am standing and applauding. That that that's excellent. Yeah. Even before the the when the first the trade was first announced, when it was like Stevenson for Jeff Green, I was like, that's the that's the darkest trade ever. And then of course, there's like the future first thrown in for good measure. It, it is now officially the most Doc Rivers trade of all time. And what makes it the most reflective of of the Doc Rivers tenure in in the in LA land is that the reason it's so delayed is because he has already expended these picks in in a mistake trade which was dumping Jerry Dudley for basically nothing. Well, not for nothing. They gave up things to dump him. Sorry. 
Yeah, no, they gave up. They gave up things to to like the lineage of this is they they gave up things to dump Jared Dudley so they could sign Spencer Haas, who they then had to dump for Lance Stevenson, who they then dumped along with a first to pick up Jeff Green so they can sign Jeff Green to what will be a silly contract in the offseason. And thank you for making that point so I don't have to do it on two consecutive podcasts. The dynamic with the Clippers now is that they have two guys, Jeff Green and Austin Rivers, another sleeper in this. I wrote a little bit about this for Real GM a couple weeks ago, that they can sign using bird rights and they they will not have much flexibility outside of those guys to add players, so they can leverage them, especially especially Austin, but Jeff Green too. You know, there aren't many ways for the Clippers to get better, so you might as well spend on the guys that you can get. <sighs> yeah, basically, it's each decision is is just a, a kind of emanations of past mistakes, and they just kind of build on themselves and build and build. And you know, it's and the fact that this is a uh, I, I was talking about this a little bit earlier today, but, you know, it's a 2019 lottery protected first. Okay, that's not much, but it's also very much a I'm not going to be around to have to deal with this kind of move because for, for a number of reasons. First of all, that's, you know, three years down the road is an eternity in NBA coaching life cycles, as we, as we see. But also, this is kind of by rumor, kind of a bit of a last dance for this kind of core. Right with with all the rumors about Blake maybe getting traded this off season, and so trading future first rounders to rent rent and then overpay Jeff Green, I think is is just roster management malpractice. Beyond that, also when you think about what they have obligated to these other teams, is that they also can't use picks in basically any trade in the near future because they don't have anything to give and unless you know unless they replenish that by trading good players that they already have which of course then you then the step in rule would would go out of place so if let's say next season they've kept the core together and they want to add a, a useful piece at the deadline there isn't really a sweetener they can have yeah and it's the, the funny thing is 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 like they don't they don't do anything good with their first round picks anyway uh you know based on you know the the Reggie Bullocks and 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 CJ Wilcox uh, and and so on and so forth, which is true, but that's not exactly a ringing endorsement of of kind of the 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 personnel management and uh, talent identification and and everything that's going on there. Yeah, so, and, and you still don't even if that's true, they they're still valuable to other people, and you have to most of the time when you're dealing with trades. I mean, this is why trades are more interesting than financial trans than a lot of financial tra- transactions is. All of your assets are specific and particular, and you have to, to a point, to in order to maximize it, you have to see it through the other person's eyes as opposed to your own. Yeah, this is like saying this is this is no good to me. Get rid of it. it is kind of a I feel like a bit of the coach as GM myopia that we see myopia. And while oh. I think we both have liked a lot of what Stan Van Gundy has done, one of the bad things he did was that with Josh Smith. You know, he wanted to make a statement, and they they really didn't do anything else with that. So now they just have this money on their books as opposed to one of the other options that might have been available. Yeah, and it's you know it it I think uh, I think Zach Lowe made this point is that man that that five point four extra million would sure come in handy this offseason and you know on top of that you know I I think we're gonna say nice things about uh, the nor- notorious SVG later in the pod but let's get this out of the way now is like you know that five point four million plus the little bit extra they gave Reggie Jackson a year 
plus a little bit extra, they gave Aaron Baines a year and, and, you know, plus, you know, giving a, maybe a little too much to Jody Meeks and a few other things here and there. All of a sudden, you know, that's, that's 12 million a year they could have had. And that's a, you know, that's a good third, fourth wing, you know, in, that, that's, that's a, that's a fourth wing and a backup big in today's dollars. And for a team that it's still, you know, af- after making some nice moves, still shallow. That's 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 a big deal, and that's a great point. And it, the most successful teams are, are a little bit of anomalies because they just have these elite talents and they do something else. But other than that, you're just going to need to maximize what you have in order to be really relevant. And they, you know, those teams can have that trouble. And the, the Pistons have done a much better job drafting than the Clippers have. But just in terms of overall asset management, that can always be an issue. But I think before we move on to something like the Pistons. We should talk about the the other part of this trade. The Clippers did badly, but the Clippers did badly, and Memphis did really well. And I think this fits in with the rest of what Memphis did to create a under-the-radar, very successful, given their limitations, last four days. I actually feel like we're, we're skipping over an important thing. It's kind of assumed between us, but it needs to be said that Jeff Green is is almost the definition of just a guy. Yes. And that's... And if, not and not what the Clippers need. You know, not a terrible player, but not well, he's not going to fix what ails them. Yeah, it's not it's nothing resembling putting them. And I you know I wrote about this on Vice yesterday. the The idea of one player putting you over the top is um, fairly mythical, anyway, at least in recent history. But and uh, even if it was the case, Jeff Green is not that guy. Yeah, nobody who was traded this deadline is that guy. Yeah, I. Who is going to be the most impactful on-court player traded this deadline? Channing Frye, um, probably, right? You know, it might be Shelvin Mack. Yeah, that's an interesting one. Yeah, I mean, I could see the argument there because he he has minutes on a team that's going to be relevant. Yeah, because Portland, I mean, if Portland had kept Verjao, that would have been int- – well, and, you know, we still don't know exactly how that's going to work out. But, yeah, Shelvin Mack's, Shelvin Mack's a good one. I still – I think Channing, Channing Frye will outpace him just because the Cavs will make it farther, but – that's definitely a fair argument to be had. Sure. Well, and we'll get to Channing Fry in a little bit. Um, yes. But but uh, um, no, Memphis. I thought Memphis did really well. You know, they basically they traded, you know, two expirings for a first and four seconds. Yeah, and um, it's really probably three seconds because yeah. there's that top fifty-five. But that's great. You know, that and, knocking off one of those seconds doesn't make it a bad move. That just makes it slightly less great. Yeah, and they get and they get a look at uh, they get a look at PJ Harrison who hasn't shown much yet, but still um, a, a young guy with some tools. Um, they take a, a, a basically a cost free flyer on Lance Stevenson, who's you know non guaranteed next year, but hasn't sh- hasn't done much in the last two years. Even though I thought when given the chance, he actually did did some good things for the Clippers this year. He just kind of found his way into the into the. Doc Rivers Memorial, not my guy, doghouse, as many have before and since. It but, would have been nice for them to get Jarnell Stokes back, considering the Heat ended up giving him away for nothing. <laughs> yeah. That is technically, um, oh, oh, yeah. no, that would be reacquisition within the year. That would not be allowed. Right. But yeah, so, and, and you know, with, with Gasol out and, and maybe Birdman can give them, give, give them some decent, you know, big man minutes. And I, I don't necessarily think it hurts them that much for this year. And for guys that you got to figure that they probably weren't bringing back, they've added four or five, you know, future assets, and none of those are jump up and down and scream about assets. But still, that's for a 
a team that needs to get younger and more athletic and, and just increase their overall talent base, that's four or five, you know, bites at the apple that they you know, wouldn't have otherwise. And Memphis has a surprisingly large amount of obligations to other teams. You know, they have the, the picks that have been, a lot of them were traded a long time ago, like the in the Maurice Spate salary dump, which I believe <laughs> was in 2012. One of the fun things about doing the draft things I do is, or doing the pick protection things I do is I go and trace the lineage of all these picks, and some of the times it just blows your mind, like the, of course, ongoing one with the Sacramento Kings, with the J.J. Hicks and Omri Caspi trait. But... When you're in that kind of a situation, whatever the reason is, whether it be that you traded those guys or somebody else did, it's nice to be able to get something back, not only for the added flexibility, but just because picks allow you to get cheap players on, on, on reasonable deals. And, you know, maybe you're not going to hit on everything, but if you hit on something, that's a guy you're going to have for a couple of years for nothing. Right. It's it, a 2% chance that a rotation player is, is 2% more than zero. And if you can, you know, get a, a rotation player who's making second round money in terms of kind of maximize, like you said, maximizing assets, one of which is, you know, your cap space, that's a pretty big win. That's a big part of the reason why, I mean, Golden State is the juggernaut they are, is the fact that, you know, these these later picks like, you know, your Festus Azili and your, your Draymond Green have turned into you know, either, you know, decent, solid players like Azili or the kind of the, the, the white whale is the second round all-star like Draymond Green. Yeah, and, and you never know when you're going to get that. And as you said, more bites at the apple works. And and what me- what I like about Memphis is that they got a, a lot of those kind of opportunities for not the greatest players. I mean, Jeff Green has been a disappointment. They were able to get more from him than I think any of us ever saw coming. And yeah, the asset they got back is not as good as the one they gave up, but that's not the way you evaluate something like this. And Courtney Lee's a nice player. I think we both like him. And I, I really like his fit with Charlotte. And that's the amazing part about this. And this gets into something you and I have talked about before. Just because Memphis did well in that deal in no way means that Charlotte did not. I think Charlotte did very well too. Yeah, no, they did. They gave up not a whole lot for a player who is, you know, a team that that they have uh, playoff aspirations this year, and they could they could if they avoid like the the seven eight seed line, they could easily win around in the playoffs. And you know, there he's instantly a fairly sizable upgrade at at the two guard for them over o, over Hairston. So yeah, all of a sudden they're they're a they're they're an interesting team that obviously. You'd be much more interested in him if, if Kid Gilchrist, you know, hadn't hurt himself again. But still, they're they're a solid, interesting, potentially up and coming team who added talent at a at a position and skill set of need for not a whole lot. And like you said, that's this is one of those things that those second rounders, which maybe aren't worth much, but maybe when you're in in a situation where you need to just, you know, what we need to add a shooter doesn't have to be great, just has to be, you know, a decent defender guy who can shoot a little bit and that'll be an upgrade for us hey we have these we have these extra picks from this 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 previous deal we made it's just a a nice bit of currency to have it is and what i've been thinking kind of thinking about with that is that even if you don't value charlotte's present you know let's say that for you're one of those people who thinks oh you know you make the playoffs once and let's say he leaves as accordingly leaves as a free agent so all you get is these 30 games plus whatever he plays in the playoffs but they didn't give up a ton to do it, and it could be more than that. So, you know, maybe maybe he likes it and takes a discount as a, as a free agent. Maybe he is a little bit of insurance, depending on who leaves, because Charlotte is a team of free agents, functionally. You know, they have Kemba long-term, they have their draft picks, 
but you know Al Jefferson, Nicola Batum, just a lot of other guys are, are potential free agents. Marv, Mar- Mar- Marvin Williams, and so you know you have a guy who who does that, and you you didn't give up like what Phoenix what Phoenix well not what Phoenix gave up what Phoenix got and what Detroit gave up. So you know that's fine. You can do that. That's you can do those moves all the time as long as you as long as you are judicious about when you do it. Yeah, and also the other thing is is um, you know them getting in the playoffs and maybe getting to the second round that that actually gives them a little bit of clarity on some of the, on some of the guys they have. You get, you, okay. Uh, how does Jeremy Lamb perform in those situations? How does Kemba Walker perform in those situations or, or, you know, Cody Zell or Frank Kaminsky, whatever. It just, it allows you to determine a little bit more about, about what you have and, and which helps your decision-making process going forward. And that's kind of, um, I'm sure you've, you, I've talked your ear off about Minnesota before, but that's kind of uh, directly opposite of kind of the problem Minnesota has had this year is the way they've played has not let them do that. And whereas, you know, Charlotte getting in and, and being competitive in the playoffs will allow for for that kind of better evaluation of the guys they already have, which doesn't hurt at all. And the other lens we've used to have this conversation is the Philadelphia 76ers and the 76ers changed their fortune earlier in this year by getting Ish Smith. And now they're getting a better idea of what Julio Okafor can do in a more competent offense and what New Orleans Noel can do. Exactly. Yeah. And so, you know, you're not going to get every answer. You're not going to get everything. And they did give up a lot for Ish Smith, but there is a value to knowing what you have especially when you have when you can do that before you have to make big decisions which is where Charlotte's going to be you know they've already made their decision on Jeremy Lamb but everybody else is pretty much nebulous so who you want to bring back who's worth keeping and and also at even a more fundamental level than that is what kind of players you want next to the guys that are your long-term pieces so they have a lot of different guys now in Charlotte you know you have Courtney Lee Jeremy Lamb is a different player, Batum, and so you, you're Jeremy Lin, of course. You know he's you can do the combo point guard thing, and so Kemba Walker is going to be there. So what works next to him? What doesn't work? That's really really nice to know. Yeah, and you know I think we've we've probably spent a long time talking about what's what's a pretty minor deal, but it's a it's a nice bit of it is as you brought up. It's a, a deal that makes sense from both sides, and given where how teams can be in different spots with. You know where they are age-wise, where they are talent-wise, where they are future assets-wise, with the the cap and and all that. It, it's it's pretty easy for the, the the assets to be different enough in value for each team that it's a positive move for both teams at the same time. It doesn't have to be well. I ripped your face off in this trade. I win, you lose. Net value zero. Yeah. Are you as fascinated by the amorphous blob that is the Detroit front court as I am? Because I'm very intrigued to see how it works out. It's interesting. Obviously, I think that you guys were surprisingly nonplussed about about the the initial trade for Tobias Harris. Then, then you, I wasn't rather... I wasn't nonplussed from the Detroit side. I mean, I don't yeah. love Tobias Harris, but you, him at sixteen million a year is a great bet. Yeah, and him at sixteen million a year for you know a guy who has not really shown much signs of of being a, a rotation level player coming off an Achilles and Anderson Eliasovia who. At times has been a productive player, but has been banged up a lot. And isn't he a guy who there are some questions as to uh, how old he actually is? And if he's that older than than he we, then he, he's he's said to be, then then those kind of lingering issues start to worry even a little bit more. 
Am I am I misremembering or are those? Are, I'm are not. Those... I'm not sure. Honestly, I I don't really remember. But you know, it, but any regardless of it, you know, like what, did, especially in that trade, what Detroit got was a player who has a lot higher of a ceiling than the guys they gave up. And yeah, they do have this weird weakness again at backup point guard, but. They have now a lot of forwards that can do one important thing, which is they're decent basketball players. And I'm not exactly sure how all of them fit together or what the optimal combination of them is. But when you can get 48 minutes from rotation plus guys at three positions like they have in the front court now, that's a really nice thing. And, you know, Stanley Johnson has potential. Tobias Harris has potential. Marcus Morris, I think they're getting closer to that. So... I can see a lot of ways that that can work out, and if they really like what they have, they can coalesce their what their remaining assets around answering kind of the backup point guard question and maybe behind KCP if it's not Jody Meeks, and that's not a big deal. And also, I you know honestly they they could they'll probably get decent minutes from Marcus Darton for the rest of the year too. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I mean, you know, he's he's not a he's not a great player at this stage, but for for a team like Detroit, that was like we said earlier, really thin, kind of a, a knockdown shooter off the bench. That's kind of what Jody Meeks was supposed to be if he was if he was healthy, um, which he basically hasn't been since he since he got to Detroit. Um, on you know, he's he's a he was just a, a one year minimum player, right? So he's basically just a a shooter for rent almost yeah, as part of this fire. deal. Yeah. So that's that's nice too, and I think we're both intrigued by by Moda Yunus. Oh um, yeah, I mean Moda Yunus. The best case scenario for him is he is in a way he's exactly what they're looking for because he is a big man that can fill in the gaps that they've created in this amorphous front court blob. He can be their best backup to Andre Drummond while also playing with Andre Drummond while also fitting decently well with the other rando guys that they have in their front court. And he's and he's an interesting guy also because one of those things you you kind of worry about about when you play a stretch four is what presents the prevents the other team from just going small against you. Well, Moda Yunus is is an excellent to, by all all uh, all indications an excellent post up player. So in in a way he 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 is a bit of a small ball antidote at least on offense. Where if if you got him with a you got him with a big guy he steps out uses his, his shooting range. If you go small, that he can go down on the block and and do work there. Now the spacing won't always be great with Drummond, but it's still it's uh it, it it's enough to make make small ball not just an obvious option against them should they decide to play Moda Yunus and Drummond together. Yeah, that's a good point, and I'm I'm fascinated to see how this all works out for them. I wish that they hadn't given up the pick because I think that's what makes this a, a really nice deal from Houston's perspective is that. Demos. <laughs> you wish they had just gotten demo for free? Well, I'm not sure. for not for free, but they for the for the top eight because you yeah. know top eight it means that it's not being they're sending it this year. I mean they're not going to yeah. be that bad. Yeah, that takes away you know like Nate and I talked about on Dog Dog. You know the idea of maybe if they had put in stronger protection, then you you do the kind of the idea that I think a lot of us would support in the next CBA, which is the idea of conditional picks, where it's basically like if it works out you get this, if it doesn't work out you don't. And they could have done that theoretically with lottery protection, but Daryl Morey did a wonderful job getting lesser protection on it. There was a challenge with Houston that they wanted to kind of figure out how to deal with this. And so they had a player who would have had a really complicated restricted free agency. We don't exactly know where his value is going to be. And they could have gotten a number that they were uncomfortable with, and they got an asset for him. 
And that's a really good thing. And while Monty Yunus at the right price would have been a nice piece of their future, especially if Dwight Howard ends up not being a part of their future, getting a, you know, what's probably going to be a 10 to maybe, maybe in from the, in the 10 to 16 range for that is worth the while. Yeah. And I think that I, I think people probably have been saying, ah, the, the difference between top, you know, lottery protected and top eight protected, you know, where Detroit's going to be, it probably doesn't matter. Well, just getting that from the, the, the standpoint of now, just like negotiating in that little bit of upside of, well, maybe, maybe they do end up with the ninth or 10th pick. It's a small thing, but those, you don't need those small chances to come in very, just much like a second round pick. You don't need those small chances to, to, uh, you know, to, to, to come in very often for working them, you know, making the effort to work them into your deals to, to work out. So I, I, I think that that was a, was a good bit of negotiating by, uh, on Houston's part. And, you know, it's, it it's probably doesn't matter because at this point you think you have to think Detroit is probably making the playoffs, right? You know, yeah. you, well, so where do you see the, where do you see the East breaking out now? So you, you kind of have, Depending on, I think Orlando is is pretty much out. You know, I, I'm not saying they can't make it, but I just don't think they're likely. So, if, do you think about it as nine teams for eight spots, or do you think Washington still has a chance? Actually, talking about the guy who who has traded, who could have the biggest potential impact on the court. It's, you know, it is definitely a gamble, but Marquise Morris. Yeah, he could make a for the especially for the way Washington wants to play this year. He could make a a dynamic difference for them now, especially with who he's replacing. Yeah, exactly. I mean, they've gotten so little out of their four position this year, um, and especially when they have gone more traditional with like two big-ish guys, whether it's you know Humphreys or or uh, Drew Gooden, or even you know doing Nene and, and Gortat together, which I don't think they've done much this year. If that works out, could they go on a run and make the playoffs? Sure. It's probably they're not likely to, but I think that their upside has increased substantially from where it was yesterday, at least for this season. The way I think about them is the way I usually consider the team that's in the ninth spot, which is that they're, they're, the way they make it in is that somebody else stumbles, but that's a, not a bad place to be. And, you know, like right now, if you were to say the teams that are kind of comfortably in, I would only have that as, as four teams, the Hawks, the Celtics, the Raptors, and the Cavs. And, yeah, I mean, you gotta. we don't really know what's going to happen with Chris Bosh. Right. Um, and so where does it, where does Miami end up? Um, the Bulls, the Bulls are a gigantic question mark Yeah. because they're, they're missing their best player. Their second best player is pretty old. Their third best player is hurt all the time. Well, their second best player is part of their course. So they couldn't trade him. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> you want to go there now? Um, the, the Bulls are just in general. Um, I think, well, I don't want to speak to. Oh, and this I just realized: with... would you have Taj Gibson over Derrick Rose? I was I was alluding to Derrick Rose with the third spot, but you could argue he's not the third best ball. I mean, it's not like Todd, Taj Gibson has been the the picture of health the last couple of years either. So, that's true. <laughs> the it's what, what happens when you start your NBA career at forty years old. <laughs> oh, shots fired! Oh, I'm um, a UCLA alum. I have to do it. <laughs> um, he was like twenty four as a rookie, wasn't he? I believe so. Yes. Yeah. Because he went to um, he went to I think Stone Ridge Prep School, and right. so he he was just well, he was older when he started SC, and then he was older when he came into the league. Sure. So we said earlier about kind of uh, the the possibility of a win win deal, like 
Memphis and Charlotte. My impression without necessarily, uh, you know, having done reporting or research on this is uh, Chicago's front office probably views trades as more zero sum. Um, and that if there's a winner, there has to be a loser. And from a standpoint of keeping one's GM job, never losing a trade by never making a trade, <laughs> it makes some sort of, you know, ma- makes a certain degree of logic. Yeah, so Chicago didn't really do anything aside from a, a nice small trade of of getting a, a second rounder in Justin Kirk Heinrich, but that doesn't really that's not going to make or break their season. Yeah, I mean, it's Hol- Holiday's a nice fifth perimeter guy, but he's not going to move the needle a whole lot for them. And yeah, Heinrich, you know, was a useful piece for them, but not an essential piece. And what I was shocked with the kind of one of the other big takeaways of today is that. I if I were a GM of a lot of these teams, I would be sitting there looking at my looking at all the expiring contracts I have and thinking, well, we're not going to get a discount on this guy. How much are they helping us this year? And if they're not that important, what can we get for them? And there were a multitude uh, of um, guys. A, a, a first rounder in four seconds. Apparently, yeah, apparently. Is the answer to that. And so, and so, there were a multitude of those guys at varying levels. So you had at the top, of course, Al Horford, Dwight Howard. At the kind of the next tier, Courtney Lee, who got moved. I guess you could have Batum somewhere in between, but he wasn't realistically going to get moved. And then the more shocking ones to me were the people at the next group down, which is people like Mirza Toledovich, who is a nice player who is having a, a kind of a shockingly good year for a Phoenix team that is just moribund right now. And those guys just didn't move. Randy Foy was really off the top of my head was the only guy in that group, excluding the restricted players like Demo that really moved. And that was surprising to me because even if it wasn't for much, if you're the Suns and you can get a, a let's say a mid second for Toledovich, I would jump all over that. Yeah. I think, and the, the the other name that that people a lot of people have talked about not moving is but was Ryan Anderson. Oh and yeah. Though I think I think given kind of the where his perceived market value is going to be next year, and the fact that he makes so much this year that you know coming up with matching salary was gonna was gonna be tough to, to send out that there just wasn't a deal available where basically they literally couldn't give him away. Um, they would have had to take bat either. Uh, attach a, a, an actual asset of some sort or take taking bad money back to 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 move him and that's just I, I think that no no deal is preferable to that from New Orleans standpoint which well, it's, it's, guess, it's, a, it's a hard it, fact I guess but, except uh, that their their cap space isn't super valuable so you know like depending on depending on how it affects it how it affects it you know long term you know how it pieces out you know them taking let's say six million on for next year isn't that big a deal. However, the what made me think about what they did a little bit differently, though I still wish that they had gotten something for him and, and Eric Gordon, is how little Cleveland gave up to get Channing Fry. Because if if you can get Channing Fry for well, depending on how you want to parse the assets that went either way, let's say you're you're splitting a first round or two ways to unload Anderson Vergeau and get Channing Fry, well, okay, if you can do that for them, then you're not gonna give up what New Orleans wants for Ryan Anderson because while Ryan Anderson is a superior player, he is going to be a less superior, he's going to be an inferior value as soon as July 1st hits. Are we sure that, A, are we sure that Ryan Anderson's a better player than Channing Fry? B, how good are either of them? C, I wasn't actually wild about that. I, in, in a vacuum, 
it's like from an asset management standpoint, deal makes perfect sense for Cleveland. In and in a, from a standpoint of we're trying to win a title here, I don't think it necessarily it really does that much for me. And I know Nate and I have kind of disagreed on this a little bit. I don't think that that Channing Fry moves the needle for them on the floor very much at all. I think he's more of a support piece, which is okay. Yeah. You know, he's definitely going to be more useful to them than Anderson Verja was because Anderson Verjat was not useful for them. But but is he's going to be useful in a way that is, is kind of cannibalizing the value of, you know, Kevin Love, Tristan Thompson, to the extent that his physical conditions allows Timo Mozgov in the playoffs. And what they, like, the, the, the piece they needed was, was or pieces they needed were, were players that allowed them to spend more time with LeBron James the four. Well, and, if LeBron wanted to play the four, and I think if, if he did, well, okay, he would have done that. Their their path to to win the title this year is in in, in the finals is is are those lineups? I mean, Agreed. I, do you see a way for like the, the, does this does Channing Fry? If you're if you're running the Warriors, does he change a thing about what you think about preparing for the Cavaliers? Not really. Well, I mean, it changes it because it's another guy that you can run through pick and rolls all the time, which is, <laughs> right. which is nice to have. <laughs> but but yeah, I mean, well, so the to me, the ideal kind of guy for them would have been somebody who can defend both forward positions and can shoot. Like, J, let's say Jay Crowder. Like, Jay Crowder would have been a wonderful fit for the Cleveland Cavaliers. They could not get Jay Crowder. Maybe. Meeting. But that and, and then that that kind of gets back to I think that gets to kind of one of my. I, and I've caught in some heat for this, but I think one of one of my kind of losers of the deadline for doing nothing was Boston. And oh, uh, I, I agree with you. Um, and you know, a a swing for the fences deal where you bring in like Kevin Love, a, a deal that sends out you know pro- probably would have to include Jay Crowder, maybe includes the the, the Brooklyn pick, um, and and who knows what you get back for it. But I think that's that was the kind of deal that would have made sense for both teams but i who knows if boston was willing to go there again speaking of and who knows if cleveland was willing to go there too yeah well Well, so so there's there are a couple things to to unpack with bot with boston did and and of course when you're dealing with high-end assets like the guys they're trying to acquire not necessarily though probably the ones they're trying to unload as a part of that as well is you're dealing with these isolated things, and if if they see if the if the team that holds that at player thinks of them too highly, then you're kind of screwed. Yeah, but that's the way it always is. But what Boston now, where they are, is they have this really nice, interesting asset in the Brooklyn pick for this year, which you know it'll probably be a good pick, but we don't know exactly yet. As soon as that pick is made. It drops in value precipitously. Because driving the car off the lot. Driving the car off the lot, mystery box, whatever you want to use as the analogy. And it is not impossible, but hard to make trades in June of the scale that they want to do. So unless you can do one of those, either make the trade in June or have the framework in June and then do the trade in July... And as a functional standpoint, the players that I'm assuming that they're interested in, not from the cap perspective, but from the established under contract perspective, might not be available. You know, like, would DeMarcus Cousins be a fascinating, potentially great fit on the Celtics? Yes. Do I think they could have acquired him at the deadline? No. Love is the possible exception. He's a little bit complicated with all this kind of stuff. And so what Boston is getting into is that their assets are converting into non-assets faster than they can use them to compile them in a trade. 
Yeah, that's basically it. And, you know, they, they're, they're also running up against things like, you know, space on the roster. They've had, they've done a wonderful job of, of acquiring all these assets as part of kind of, uh, re, retooling from the big three era. And in a way, this is, this is a, 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 a warning to, to a team like Philadelphia in a way, because they're finding that the, the harder part, and, you know, some of it is, some of it is, is bad luck. If, you know, Charlotte turning down what they reportedly offered for the justice, for the pick that became Fred Kaminsky. It's hard to read that as anything other than bad luck from Boston's perspective that like we were trying to overpay and they wouldn't let us, they, they wouldn't take our money. They wouldn't our, take a good trade. Yeah. Look the gift horse in the mouth and, and, and whatever cliche you want to use. But for a team, the easy part is acquiring all these assets. And then the hard part is then kind of converting them into kind of the top end talent that you need to be a legitimate contender. Because, you know, for as good as Boston has been, they've also been a team that is, has been really good at feasting on the bad teams and hasn't done nearly as well against the good teams. And that's, you know, I think extremely predictable from, from, you know, their, you look at their, at, at their, at their sort of flat talent base. And where they have a lot when of you're, and decent when, when you're a well-coached team too. Yeah. Like when, that, when you look at their profile, what they should do is beat, beat the crap out of bad teams and lose to good teams. And that's what they do. And, you know, and that's nice. There's nothing, there's nothing, by the way, there's nothing wrong with that, especially if, if, you know, like they have, they have a lot of flexibility going forward with, with all these assets, but there's also a, a time frame on those assets and the year from last almost feel like, as you said, this year's draft is kind of the expiration date on some of them. It's like a, you know, a gift certificate that, that runs out. They've had a year since last trade deadline. They've kind of had, you know, last off season, this season to the trade deadline, and then next year until the draft. And they've used two of three of those windows without really converting into that high end player to they're going to need to be a, a legit contender going forward. And if you see them as a team that's more on the younger side, you can you can think about Boston a few different ways. Cap space beyond the the fact that Boston has as an NBA team has struggled to get free agents with their money in in the past, you know, they, that they don't really woo high end guys, is that when the guys that you can get in free agency are generally older. White Howard make them better this year and next year? Yeah, absolutely. But he wouldn't be there when the other kind of, especially if you're thinking about this team through the, let's say, the Brooklyn picks and things like that, he's going to be long past where he's truly relevant when those when those guys are, are really at their prime, and he's not going to have trade value then. So if you're going to get, and you're not going to get these super values like the last couple of years where you get a guy, even even like Tobias Harris, who I don't think is, is a great player, but who is talented, you're not going to even get a Tobias Harris through free agency this year. You're just going to get guys who are overpaid. Yeah, I mean, maybe, maybe you're, maybe you, you gamble on like a, like a, you know, a Kent Bazemore and he hits for you and then you get his, his value, but not like he's not providing surplus value, just providing actual value. That's going to be kind of the wins in free agency. Like, like Amir Johnson is for them, probably. Yeah. And, you know, and even he is, is, you know, when he, when he is on the court, he has been good, but how much longer he has as a dependable everyday player is always kind of an open question at this point. But no, that was, I'm not saying that was a bad move for them, obviously, but it's like, if those are the kinds of things that you're picking up, maybe you're, you're slowly building up, but at, at a certain point you're slowly building up. And then all of a sudden Marcus Smart is 27 and you're no longer building up. You're going the other way. 
Yeah, and the team that is kind of an analog, though they don't have the draft picks in the same way for me, that was shocking is Orlando. And so what Orlando did is they bet on cap space this summer. And as Kevin Pelton wrote in his, I think it was in the Channing Fry uh, insider trade grade he made, and this is a point that you and I have talked about, that Kevin and I have talked about, everybody, is that this is probably the worst season to have crazy amounts of cap space. There's that, and the other part is if it comes up, okay, say Al Horford says, Atlanta, I am coming to sign a max deal for you. In, in this, this happens, you know, right at the right at the start of the the, the end of the moratorium, or, or during the moratorium when they're not actually talking, because no one would do that. No, no one would would would, would make agreements on, or anything like that. <laughs> is 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 a trade a substantially similar trade for Tobias Harris not going to be available then? Yeah, thank you for hitting my biggest criticism of this trade that I did not make on the Dunk Down podcast and was actually not saving for my own. I was waiting for Nate to bait me into it, which is. If you were going to trade Channing Fry or Tobias Harris, Tobias Harris is the clear example, but let's say Channing Fry as well. If you were to fast forward to July 5th, or actually more accurately, let's say to July 12th, which is the day that the moratorium becomes non-existent, there are going to be teams that would be thrilled to have Tobias Harris and, and or Channing Fry at that time. And the present value they got for, particularly for, in this case, for Tobias Harris, is functionally nil because you're not going to get a discount on Brandon Jennings and Aristotle Lusova, and they're not good enough to have you make the playoffs. They just make your pick worse. If that. Maybe they help the pick. But, yeah, no, that's exactly right. And, you know, it's a Fry is kind of – it's it's a little bit like kind of salary dumping him is a little more what whatever because of just, you know, his age and how he fits with, with how they want to play and all that stuff. With Harris, the problem, like, if it came down to it, the hello Utah Jazz – can you give us a second rounder and we will trade Tobias Harris into your cap space? Is that trade? Or if it's not Utah, any Philadelphia? One of, yeah, any one of eight teams not going to give you, you know, even some bit of value for, for him in the offseason if it comes to pass that you need that, that, that cap space. Like, I could just rattle off teams. The Pacers are, are another one of those. Like, they're Milwaukee, depending on how everything goes. Which the, would be the, the Celtics? The Celtics. <laughs> yeah, there, yeah. Are, there are a ton of teams that could potentially be in that boat, depending on what Toronto does. Toronto, like, it's just, I mean, the, there, the, there the, are going to be so many teams that are going to miss out. I have a piece that's coming out for the Sporting News next week that talks about this. But when you look a week or two weeks into free agency, there are going to be teams that are just going to be sitting there praying that somebody takes the money. It's going to be like what Sacramento was like about a week into free agency or like four days into free agency this past year. Yeah. No, and actually that is that is almost the, the analogy for this trade. It's not as bad as their trade with Philadelphia because they didn't give away like silly pick swaps. And and, you and know. that potentially incredibly valuable pick. Of a- yeah. Yeah, but, but it was still like, you know, if, if you don't have – stuff set up for why why are you clearing the cap space if you if you don't have any plan to to necessarily to use it and and the second point is if so okay so let's say let's say you you have it for free agents that's wonderful if you get guys that's great and of course we're saying you could have moved it anyway let's say durant and horford both say they want to come you could have obviously moved tobias harris yeah that doesn't happen if you don't get, you know, you don't get, and also to me, like Hassan Whiteside, DeMar DeRozan, a couple of other guys that are going to be prominent for agents don't make sense to Orlando for me at all. Straight up. They just yeah. don't make sense. So 
I, that's a minor disappointment for me, and this is possibly where the the uh, the Bosch situation hurt Miami is uh, is Hassan Whiteside not getting traded. Yeah, um, but Hassan, I, Hassan had maybe the hardest trade value in the league because you because you you don't get any ability to help re-sign him by getting. Yeah, him. I mean, I you know he's he's uh, he's very much do not want for me. But oh yeah, at, at, at the price he's like even. I, I don't think there's a there's a player in in the league who I will who I would least less like to pay the contract they're going to get this summer than Hassan Whiteside. Oh man, that would be a fun podcast to do right now. I I would rather have Dwight Dwight Howard's next next contract than Hassan Whiteside's. Yeah, I yeah. I can definitely see the rationale for that. Yeah, for me last year that would have been Brandon Knight. But um, at this time, this time last year, it would have been brand Well, but the, we, didn't, we didn't know Ennis Cantor was getting a, getting the full max. So. Oh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> and yeah, and now Dion Waiters would be a fun guy to have for that right now. But we like just because somebody's going to do it, but we don't know who it's going to be. Yeah. Well, it's probably going to be the Thunder. But, but yeah, but so, okay, so let's take this hypothetical. Let's say Orlando at least largely misses out on the high-profile guys. So one of the other benefits of having cap space, and we saw this today as well, is that you can take on the guys that other teams don't want. While it is the worst year for 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 signing guys because your cap space is less worth less because other teams have it, including higher profile teams, the ability to acquire players into cap space will be even less valuable than it has ever been by an even larger degree because everybody's going to have space. So you can't even you can't even your backup plan doesn't help you either. Yep, it, it's I... sad. You know, and and the, the funny thing is, is, is I don't I don't think either of us are the biggest fans of of Tobias Harris's game. It's just not at all. It's He's it's fine. it's but it's you know from if you wanted to play Aaron Gordon more, just play Aaron Gordon more. You don't and need you're to, not going and and Tobias Harris is good enough and he's talented enough that you're not going to sabotage his value by even playing him backup minutes for the last thirty games of the season. It's like, oh no, this guy's terrible. They decided to play Aaron Gordon over him. It's like it said nobody, you know. It's like because every, everyone in the league looks and sees like Aaron Gordon has has amazing talent. So yeah, why wouldn't you? Anyway, and Orlando um, has a built-in, you know, if if teams are saying, well, why didn't you play Tobias Harris? Go, hey, look, we're a super young team. Have you seen the rest of the guys we have on our roster? We wanted to know what we had in those guys. Tobias did Harris. you watch the dunk contest? Yeah, <laughs> it's like, <laughs> did you watch the dunk contest? So you can, you don't like. There are always circumstances where when a team trades a guy, they the other team can try to like bait them into, oh, well, you're, you know, like you're selling low and trying to trying to do it less. But when you have the case of we just had other dudes that we wanted to try out and. You know, you can play. You could still play Tobias Harris plenty of minutes if you're going to have the rest of the guys they have on roster. And the other big thing about this, Nate and I talked about it a very short time, but it's very important to understand with Orlando is this: if they were theoretically to use the, a lot of their cap space to use it aggressively, let's say they're successful but not super successful, and then they want to. Part of why they want to do that is then they have this low cap hold for Evan Fournier, a successful trade that they made that worked out very nicely. For uh, you know, they got they got him for Aaron Aflalo. He turned out nice. He turned out well. They got more value out of him than Denver. Well, more value than Portland did out of Aaron Aflalo. Let's say that for sure. So you're doing that, but if you then sign Evan Fournier, then you're starting to get close to the luxury tax when you have basically an entire team full of guys that are going to get raises on their next deal. So that's unrealistic. So what are you going to do with this space? Pragmatically, like what are you going to do with this space that is so good? I think we're in agreement, and I kind of feel like we've like 
I feel bad for the the amount of of <laughs> the amount I've 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 of grief I've given. Yeah, that, I, I, that, I do I do to a degree, but at the same point, I don't think they're going to get it in the summer like they should. So we can give it to them now. Yeah. But so okay, so outside of those guys, outside of those teams. Is there anyone else that really stuck out to you in either direction? I think Randy Foy is a, Randy Foy's a fine addition for the Thunder. Eh, he's, he's the memorial. Wait, why are they playing him so much? Veteran, a playoff veteran for for Oklahoma City. Okay. I mean, he's he's he's. I mean, he's he's probably better than Dion Waiters, probably. Yeah. But you know, the shouldn't shouldn't dismiss the fact that they they got out of. The, they got all the way out of the tax, did they not? They didn't, but Miami. They did. They oh, they didn't get all. Okay, well then, it, like, if they had managed to get all the way out of the tax, no, I think they're. I think they're like ten million over. I think. But oh, they, okay. but they reduced. Okay, they say they did save heavily. Yes. Oh yeah, okay. they saved like I think it was more than six million. Yeah, and that's you know it's not nothing. If they, I for some reason I guess think I got them in in, my, in Miami mixed oh, up. Oh, so uh, Albert Namad has it that they saved nine point three million. Only 1.2 of that was in salary, but still, that's fantastic. Yeah. All right. Fair enough. And they got but, a trade exception that they will almost definitely not use. <laughs> yeah. Every year in a row, um, kind of going the, the least expensive option rather than, than you know, adding the, a piece. Again, a, a big – really the same guy that Cleveland needs is the guy that, that Oklahoma City needs. But, and neither of them really did much to, to, to acquire him. And, you know, to some extent, that probably indicates that bigger wings who can defend and shoot threes, there just aren't that many of them. So, but uh, still. Yeah. I, it was What else stood out to you? Uh, I thought Portland did well. Yeah. Um, I, I like the way Kevin Arnovitz put it on Twitter. He said, uh, Portland's out here stealing big blinds. And that's, you know, just, just you know, picking up value here and there, adding, you know, for taking on, on Verjao, they uh, – Rumor is they're they're going to to waive him. Um, I don't know. Do you think they should just they should just wait, they they should stretch his contract or or just eat it for the? I I, I kind of think that they should almost just eat it. Well, for... what, okay, okay. So I'm Nate and I didn't talk about this. We'll probably talk about it the next time we record. It would to me it would be a big mistake to make a decision on that now. There's no real reason to. It's not like they're right. going to get something out of that spot. So what you do is because he's he has a guaranteed contract for next year, and the the time where you can stretch him isn't for a while, and he has another year in his contract, so you could do it over five, which is ridiculous. So what you do is you sit there and on July fifteenth, and you say, okay, do we need this extra five million dollars? If you don't need it, I would keep him on. You know, I yeah. would, I would I would do it that way. I think that I you're think basically taking the hit for one year then exactly. You're, you're, you're 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 paying them in in uh, you have a little bit of extra dead money and then it's off the books. Yeah, actually, it would only be for sixteen seventeen. Then they'd be clear. They would. So wait, they would, he has he has one more year after. The, oh, he has wait, one he, more year guaranteed and then one okay. year non guaranteed. Okay, so that okay then. So they'd be they, they'd be clear of it. You know, they they could go into the summer of twenty seventeen with the new CBA. They'd be free and clear of of Anderson Verishow. Yeah. and that is, that is a weird that is a weird quirk of the rules that that you could. You can stretch the not. You get you get the benefit of the non guaranteed year in the in the stretch provision. Yeah. That is odd. Also, that, the Verjao trade included one of my favorite things that happened at the deadline, which is that of all people, Anderson Verjao has a trade bonus, so he got more money because of it. <laughs> Fantastic. Let's, let's talk about how bad that contract was. Yeah, I mean that that was one of those just 
bad deals that happen sometimes in Cleveland, you know, let's say theoretically if they had a, a magic wand to poof that contract, they would have helped their finances a lot. And while he's a nice player and, a, you know, like I'm more of a nice person than a nice player at this point, you know, he, w- he was kind of an albatross. And to be able to, they did have to give up an asset to get out of him and bring in Channing Frye, but it wasn't like what some other teams have had to do in the past. But part of that's because Dan Gilbert's been willing to pay the tax. Yeah. No, uh, so I, it, like I said, I, th- I thought Portland did well. Um, Denver did well, obviously getting, getting, you know, it's a small ball move, but two second rounders for, uh, for, for Randy Foy is, is, is a nice, nice bit of business. It's funny how I thought that, that I guess it, it's not surprising considering, you know, we, we thought there were going to be more buyers than sellers at the deadline this year, but it seems like the, the teams that were, uh, sellers did, did, did the best. I mean, maybe you, maybe you have a little bit of, of quibble with Houston for not being able to find a Dwight Howard deal, but I think that he would, the fact that he's going to be a free agent basically, you know, shot down any deal there too, much as it did for, uh, for Ryan Anderson. And the Rockets might not be bad enough to do a real sale like they wanted to yeah. do. Like, like there, there, there is a, there is a world, and this is true of a lot of trades where, if you were as, if it were, let's say it was solely the GM's decision and they didn't have to care about fan happiness, they didn't have to care about anything else, I think there would, in that world, there is a Dwight Howard deal that would have been workable. However. Like, like yeah, like, fine, give us give us your expiring salary and a top 20 protected first. Yeah, like. Like, there, there, is, there, there is a world where, and, you know, from a certain standpoint, that deal would make sense. And from another standpoint where the Houston Rockets are, a basketball team that still has to compete on the floor this year and still wants to compete on the floor this year, you can't make that trade. And, and, that's still ha- and that has an ownership group that had expectations on this year. You know, yeah. if, you do, if you do a move like that, and it's a lot easier, even though it might not be, even though it might not be right, it, it's a lot easier once the contract is on the table to say, hey, Dwight got, you know, some team offered Dwight his four-year max with a player option on that last year. To do that now, as opposed to say, or to do that then, as opposed to saying now, well, we know it's going to happen, so we might as well cut the losses. That's a harder thing to do for all parties involved. Like yeah. even if even if it's right, and even if I, I think we all expect that he's going to get an offer, if not at that exact number, very very close. And so you know it, it's it is easier to do that, and and who knows, maybe it does work out. And I would have for we've talked before about the idea of information and the value of that, you know, like it would have been nice to know how Clint Capella works as the primary center with this team. But I don't know that that information is so pertinent that you're willing to like kind of sacrifice something to know it. Yeah. And again, this Houston team for just appears so largely dysfunctional that what, what are you necessarily going to, going to learn from would removing Dwight Howard would would removing him fix any of those problems and maybe but it's far from guaranteed just that kind of you know personality surgery would fix everything I kind of doubt it because I think the the issues there go well beyond him yeah and well as we've been talking about the idea of you know reality versus everything else the other guy who fits that bill that is you know kind of in that in that realm is another Houston Rocket, which is James Harden. In a is there a universe where I would have considered trading him for some of the assets that are out there? Yes, absolutely. Like 
Boston could put together an offer if I were if I were the GM of the Houston Rockets that I would happily take for for James Harden. <laughs> uh, that that's Danny Larue, who is who Boston fans who is suggesting a trade for James Harden. Danny Larue. Hey, not, I think it's not... Rockets fans that would be more pissed at me than Celtics. I think I think everyone would be mad at you for that one. But yeah, I I think yeah. I think because you're actually getting something more out of it. I if I were Boston, I probably it would be a harder deal to make than if I were Houston. But you know, like the, but those are the types of things that don't really happen because it's way more complicated than just like throwing it in 2k or throwing it in the trade checker yeah it's it's it is it is not a fantasy league i this actually it's a probably a, anyone who's listening to this hasn't already i think that that Woj's podcast this week where he had uh you know assistant gms from golden state utah and houston on to talk about how just the, the process of how these things actually happen what i thought was fascinating and is it was it should would be really educational in terms of talking about uh, learning about what actually goes into you know the, these deals coming together. How it's not just you know, hey, you want to trade this for that? Spend ten minutes talking. All right, let's call the league. It's not. It, it's nothing like trading your fantasy league, and it, that's and that's. I feel like that's the kind of thing everyone knows, but then forgets every year the trade deadline. When why didn't they just do blah blah blah? And it's and that's even maybe even more true when you think about the draft because pe- some people go oh well you should make this trade then and the complications in that really narrow window are pretty amazing. Yeah, and again, not this is not the Danny and Seth's podcast review, but they did they they talked about kind of the the time pressure you're under under those circumstances and and um, if you kind of if you haven't like gamed it out beforehand, throwing something together on the fly is just. And if you, if you take a second and think about it, well, there's five minutes between picks. Uh, making a deal all of a sudden when your guy gets picked three spots in front of you, all right, you got 15 minutes to make a deal happen. Go. That um, said, when, good, good when, luck with that. That said, when Zach Lowe wrote that piece about kind of Charlotte in a way rationalizing why they didn't take the Boston deal, that was real bad. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's like, you kind of have to be prepared to take your to, to give yes as an answer to. Uh, your good fortune. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway. Uh, but so any- ha- do you think that the, uh, the playoff picture has changed meaningfully? No. Um, I mean, the bottom, know, the-, the bottom of the East is a little bit different. And all of a sudden, like uh, whether Memphis has enough juice to hold on to make the playoffs is more, to me, is more of an open question now than it was. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think that the, from a meaningful standpoint, you know, who are the, 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 the teams that were, that could have made meaningful steps up a notch were, I think, Cleveland, OKC, and Toronto. And none of them really did. And Boston, um, but they're different. They're in a yeah, different place. Yeah. Um, I mean, just in terms of teams that are, are potentially at that contender level. Yeah. Um, and, you know, Toronto is going to, and I think Masai has said this, that their, their big acquisition is when Damari Carroll comes back. And that, and that might be, you know, that's, that's, not inaccurate. So there wasn't an obvious deal out there for them. Um, you know, you know, you know what they needed. They weren't a team that I, I don't think was going to gamble on Markeith Morris, and he was kind of the the the, the name, the, the kind of player out there that kind of fit what they needed most. So if he's not really an option, then you know who who are they who are they necessarily looking at? But the, the, yes, they didn't do anything. And then Cleveland didn't. Neither Cleveland nor Oklahoma City, you know, kind of addressed their their matchup based wing issues where, you know, if you, you need, to, you know, you need to beat Golden State and or San Antonio. That's the, you know, the kind of the kinds of players that both teams need 
neither team really acquired uh, no disrespect to Randy Foy. Yeah. And what I think this sets up is such an interesting summer beyond all the Max guys and all that kind of stuff with, of course, Oklahoma City's situation is more complicated because of Kevin Durant, but Cleveland, the Clippers, and, you know, a couple other teams in that, maybe Toronto, are probably going to end the season with varying levels of happiness and disappointment, probably somewhere in between. They all have a lot of really talented players on their, on their rosters. How are they going to deal with having a more limited toolbox? And is are any of them going to be ready to make the bold moves that aren't necessarily necessary, but are possible given what they have? No, I think, I think you framed that well in that, you know, it's, it's kind of making decisions on, on how high you, you think you have to aim to beat Golden State. Um, I, I think that one of the one of the interesting assumptions from this year is that, or it'll be interesting to see is is if people re- are going to act as if Golden State is going to stay at this level forever. And I think I, I personally I think it would be a mistake to assume that they're an all time great team this year. There's no way around that. But that's you know that's that's kind of ephemeral in terms of just how well all of their individual players are performing and kind of unlikely to kind of maintain at this that this level beyond this year. So do you get intimidated into doing nothing because you can't reach that level? Do you make a wild swing from the fences because you think you have to reach that level? Or do you say, all right, next year's Golden State team is going to be 92% of what the, what uh, this year's team was. So let's, let's, what can we do to get us to that level? And, and kind of that, that and those kind of internal decisions are, are going to be fascinating to see as well. That's a great point. And the Spurs are even more prominent on that because the Spurs are less likely to be at stay at their level than the Warriors are because they're older. That's it's true, though. Well, yeah, and and you got to figure that that for at least one, if not more, of kind of the traditional big three, this is this really has to be the last kind of go around as super meaningful frontline players. Yeah, um, and while they have a lot of depth at two through four. They don't have logical replacements for either Tim or Manu, or the Parker or or Manu. Yeah, but Tim yeah, that... too. I mean, like Boban seems to me like more of a backup big. The Lamarcus doesn't want to play center. They traded Tiago Splitter. Like that. The, obviously, they're still going to be really good, probably great. But there is a very real possibility to me that the Spurs are are great, but no longer elite next year. Yeah, no, that's fair. And so just kind of figuring out where you need to be next year. And maybe even a team like like Cleveland with with a, a real off season and training camp with everything in better place can kind of like, all right, with what we have, if we can actually have all our guys healthy in camp and the same coach all year, maybe that's enough. And maybe that is enough. But, you know, sim- uh, similarly for, for Oklahoma City, I think, you know, with uh, now that Billy Donovan has a full year of NBA experience, Cameron Payne isn't a rookie, so on and so forth. But I don't know. Yeah, I mean, and of course, with them, then there's also the possibility of you know, like, really, what do they, really, what do they do if you know the crazier things happen? But that's of course a different subject for a different day. If 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 and if and when uh, Kevin Durant signs with Golden State, copyright. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Co- copyright, Danny Larue. Yeah, I mean, but. So uh, something you and I try, I try to end every conversation with you and a lot of other guests with is, okay, we're sitting here. It's February 18th. 
we have about two months left in the regular season. Before ignoring the playoffs entirely, what are you looking forward to to seeing and to knowing the rest of this year? Hmm, that's a good question. I'm I'm still interested no. to see what uh, what what Cleveland is going to if Cleveland looks like a meaningfully different team post coaching change. That's and if it if it looks that way for any structural reason beyond you know certain guys giving more of a crap now. That, that's one of the things I'm, I'm looking forward to. I'm, I'm interested to see what, uh, what Utah does the rest of the year. They've kind of sort of treaded water for, for, for most of the, most of the middle of this season with all the injuries they've had and, and seem primed to be a, a solid team in the second half. And then it's just, you know, can Golden State keep up this level of play and, and march through the playoffs or, this kind of some of the, the the magic dust sort of start to wear off a little bit, and while still playing well, they they aren't playing at this kind of ridiculously stupendous level anymore. What that means for uh, you know the postseason, if if that gives some teams some more hope. Yeah, I the Warriors to me are even in just the regular season, the Warriors are the are the biggest story just because they're going for something incredible, and you know the Spurs are to a degree as well. They've been a, a really great team, though they're dealing with injuries right now that will be their priority in the short term. Utah is one that's that was originally going to be mine until you said it. I think they're they're a lingering thing, and I'm going to go with two others in the East. One is a team that I've been beating their drum all year, which is Washington. I still think they have a shot of getting in there, especially if Miami and Chicago start to slide down a little bit. I think that there's a reason for them to try, and their talent is better suited now than it was. And the other one is a single player, but on a relevant team, which is Miles Turner in Indiana. Because Indiana has Paul George. They have a superstar. They have a really good player who's under contract for a long time. If he can be somebody who we're sitting here going, okay, they're not gonna be, he's not going to be there now, but let's say two to three years from then, he can be the second or third best player on a conference finals team. All of a sudden, the Pacers' future becomes very different. And you start thinking about what they do a little bit differently, and that would be really exciting because I think we'll learn more about him than we will somebody like Kristaps Porzingis just because of where Indiana is in the process. And also the fact that he he lost so much of, of the first half of the season. Right. Yeah, I'm, you know, and I'm, I'm excited to see, I guess, talking about individual players, I've, I've been, you know, banging this drum all year and, you know, how they got there may not be ideal, but I am excited to see kind of what happens uh, as Orlando gives Aaron Gordon the keys a little bit more. Devin Booker too, same kind of logic. Yeah, though I, Phoenix is depressing, so. <laughs> I probably won't be watching that very much. Well, yeah, on the depressing line, another guy I'm going to try to watch, assuming he comes back, is Ronnie Hollis Jefferson because he can be the like the the bright the lone bright light in Brooklyn for a little bit. <laughs> Hell is watching Suns Nets second half of the year games. Yeah, uh, over and over again. <laughs> yeah, it, it's gonna it's gonna be hard because for me, I try to use February in particular to watch to kind of be maybe the last clean look at teams that aren't going to be relevant long-term because you don't really want to watch them in April and sometimes in March because they're just non-representative. Those, the teams have lost, they've, you know, they've lost focus, they've lost energy. And so I usually use the beginning and end of February to do that. But some of these teams, like the Suns, good Lord, they're there already. Yeah, they, and they've, I, and I guess, you know, for also for the second half, have a, from a pure kind of entertainment standpoint, kind of what continues to go on in Sacramento the second half of the season 
I mean, that was, you know, their big move, their big trade deadline move was firing an assistant coach. So, which is rarely a good sign, shall we say? Yeah. And if, and if, you know, people have been thinking about, you know, well, what are they going to do if things don't go well? And let's say they want to open their stadium with DeMarcus Cousins, which I believe they do, then they're in a narrow boat. And of course, then the Rajon Rondo situation is going to be absolutely insane. So yeah, the Kings, the, the Kings are going to be fun. And there is more uncertainty, I would say, around the league right now than there has been in a long time. There's certainty at the top to a degree. I mean, I think if we were to guess the four best teams in the league next year, right now, we'd probably be right on at least three of the four, probably all four. But everything else is kind of in flux. That's a good point. I I feel a little bit that this is something that I I thought was going to happen maybe last year a little bit and didn't as much last year. But we're almost in kind of a transition from one era of kind of superstars to the next. And, you know, as, you know, LeBron is going to start fading here soon, if, if he hasn't already. I've, Washington I've read... Post front page? Uh, oh. <laughs> yeah. I, people still yell at me for that article. But, it was um, great. You, you should be proud of it. No, thank you. But, uh, you know, okay, we know, we know Steph is there. We know Kawhi Leonard is there. Who are kind of the other you know, faces of the league going forward. Anthony Davis is possibly stuck in kind of a, of a mid-career Kevin Garnett situation. Um, the luster is, as of right now, off Blake Griffin a little bit for more for obvi- the obvious off-court stuff than anything else. And, you know, who else is, it, it's probably a little early to think of that for Carl Anthony Towns. Porzingis probably is going to get put in that spot just because of, he's in New York. Um, but, but the Knicks probably the Knicks aren't going to be at that level. Where right, he's going exactly. To be transcendent. He's going to be more of a, a league pass kind of. He'll be a fascination right. more than a star in that way. So who who are kind of that that those players and teams that are are going to raise up over the next years? I mean, there are are individuals you can look at. Like, it, could it happen for Boston? Sure. Are you certain about it? Would like not not at all. So who are those? You know, we kind of saw, you know, we, every year there's like the, the one up and coming team from the year before, where, you know, whether it's, you know, Phoenix two years ago or, or, or what have you. And then they, they, they kind of fall back a little bit. And so who are those teams that are going to be the ones to actually take that step up? Is Utah going to be like last year and this year's Phoenix or are they going to continue to progress? And we just don't know. Yeah. We don't know. And I, I think the, the Pacers could be one of those teams. And, and with, with the bottom of the East, I think there's a, a, you know, outside of the 10 we've talked about, I think there's a very real chance it ends up being nobody this year, that they just they don't just all kind of slink a little bit away, which is okay. I mean, Milwaukee is, of course, a disappointment in that way that some people thought they were going to be better than that. I think you and I were more in line with maybe not what's happened, but just them not being playoff caliber this year. But in the West, like, I mean, if Portland... Even in a weakened year, if Portland, this Portland team can make the playoffs, I think that says something about them, about Lillard, about Terry Stotts as well, that about, makes them about, relevant. About Neil O'Shea. About Neil O'Shea, too. Yeah, all of them. That, that, yeah. that they could do this in a year where they lost, God, somebody will put it together, but of their, let's say their ideal rotation after the trade deadline last year, their ideal, you know, you're playing LaMarcus, you know, 32 minutes, you're playing all those guys. They lost an appallingly large amount of those minutes and made it back with no max players 
with all of that. And yeah, they're not as good as they were, but to be able to be in that position, if they can keep it together is, would be a triumph that I think we need to appreciate if it happens. And this is, I mean, this is something I said kind of at the time, is I think they did just an excellent job of recognizing where they were and, and reacting accordingly. They didn't try to, you know, hang on to, you know, that, those, that, that, those fun couple of years of, you know, the, those Lillard, Aldridge, Batum, Matthews, Lopez teams. They didn't try to grasp and hold on to those. They're like, all right, that's done. Let's, let's move on. Let's pivot right away and move on. And that, I think, allowed them to, to do a lot of these things, like, you know, add, add all the young talent that they've added. And, you know, they were, they were aggressive with some of their, their free agent signings and that's paid off. I mean, they, you know, we, we, we kind of were, a lot of eyes were opened at the Amino contract the first day of free agency. Looks like a pretty good deal right now, doesn't it? Sure. Uh, You know who that team, the, the next Utah might be? I'm not definitive on it yet, but I have this sneaking suspicion is Denver. I think Denver might end up in the in the nine or ten spot in the West, and people are just going to be sitting there going, "How did how did that happen?" Yeah, no, and they, um, you know, the, a guy who for them is is maybe been kind of the the revelation has really been Jokic. I think Nikola Jokic has just been very under the radar because the, the top line numbers don't jump out at you, but if you dig in at all, he's just been. Uh, you know, we like I think at summer league we kind of talked about the the can he play test and. You know, I was in Denver earlier this year, and I saw them play a couple of games, and he just like crushes that all over all over the place in terms of just feel for the game and knowing where to be. And you know, as as kind of he gets more used to the the physicality of the NBA, you have to be really really um, optimistic about what what he can bring to the team. And that's that kind of that's like we're talking about earlier. That's that late draft pick who turns into something, and then you kind of need to hit on a few of those. Especially if you're not in a in a market where you're going to say, "All right, this guy is already an all star player. Come play for us." Yeah, and and they're also doing it without any contribution from Wilson Chandler, who I think when he if if and when he's healthy is a, is a nice little guy that you can have, whether he's a starter or a rotation player. Moutier is going to be a whole heck of a lot better eventually than he has been this year, which is not a surprise with a teenage point guard. And yeah, and he's been. I mean, since he since he came back from injury, he's been you know better, not yeah. great, but he's, better. Yeah, he's been he's been all right. And yeah, for a teenager, that's really great. Yeah. <laughs> I guess I guess that that's an indication for us. Yeah. <laughs> well, thanks so much. Thanks so much for coming on, man. Hey, right, thanks for having me. Thanks again to Seth Partno for taking the time to come on. You can read him as the managing editor of the Nylon Calculus, Washington Post Fancy Stats. He has some new work on Vice, which has been really good the last couple weeks, and seemingly everywhere else. I mean that in exclusively positive ways. Seth is one of the smartest people, in my opinion, that does any of this work. And to be able to talk with him on the podcast and also interact with him, you know, on in the other ways that we do is an absolute privilege. And it was fun to have this conversation after doing more of the nuts and bolts with Nate because we went in a different angle with it. And I thought it was a worthwhile conversation. Um, oh, also, if you don't follow Seth on Twitter, if you don't already, S-E-T-H-P-A-R-T-N-O-W otherwise known as his given name. And yeah, I thought it was a, a really fun one to do. And I liked where we went at the end about, you know, where this is going. And as much as we like to think about the league and, you know, the deadline having importance, the top teams are the top teams right now. And it's exciting in a way that the, those teams are so good that they didn't really have to do anything. Of course, they also lack the flexibility, but 
the way that I see the rest of the regular season is kind of a bifurcation. So you have those top teams and you want to see how they're doing and how they pace. And the last couple weeks might be a little less interesting because they already know what they're getting into. And then you have the fight for playoff spots. You have this fight for seeding, especially in the East. That's going to be really compelling, but more broadly than record. I, I think people focus a lot on that and very much too much on that is who is looking like the teams that could can make a jump in subsequent years. We talked on the podcast about, you know, what Phoenix did a couple years ago, what Utah did last year, and that works at a lot of different levels. And some people saw that in Boston last year. I, I didn't really. And I think, you know, that that concept has been about right. You know, they've been a decent, you know, second or third tier team, depending on how you see Toronto. And so, you know, who, who fits in where Indiana is a team that I'm really interested in. So we'll see where the league goes from here. We have almost exactly two months left in the regular season. So there is still a lot to learn and the playoffs are going to be fantastic. So there is a lot to look forward to on a, on also for me personally, this clarifies where we're going heading into the summer. I have a lot of work coming for all of my outlets for the sporting news, for real GM, for warriors world on everything. But in particular, I have a project uh, that, that will be starting soon from the Sporting News, which I'm guessing will have been launched by the time I record next week. However, as those of you know, when I don't put out my guest ahead of time, I'm not going to say what that project is until then. But uh, it's separate from the one that Seth and I talked a little bit about regarding cap space. That's one that has been in the works for such a long time that and is a single one-off piece. This other one is much, much, much bigger than that. If you want to follow my work in particular... You can do that through Facebook is probably the best way. It's Danny LaRue MBA because that compiles everything that I do everywhere. Also, uh, if you want to send feedback, you can email me, MBA at gmail.com. You can also hit me up on Twitter at DannyLaRue. That's D-A-N-N-Y-L-E-R-O-U-X. I read everything. I respond to as much as I can. And that is, you know, somewhat of a challenge now. I'm getting more stuff, which I really do appreciate. But I, I do read everything and I respond to as much as I can. And if you like the show, I appreciate it if you subscribe, if you download every episode, and if you leave a review, especially if it's a positive one, because that is a part of what iTunes uses when they're doing their, their black box of rankings. And the same is, of course, true of Dunked On. And if you listen to the Dunked On podcast, use the cap space code at all of our excellent sponsors, because that helps us keep going. And so thanks again for listening. Thanks to Real GM for letting me do this. Take care and make it a great day. One of the best things about Randall's is all the friendly and helpful people. And now Randall's is looking for more great employees just like you. 
That's right. All Randall stores are now hiring friendly new faces to join their team. Ages 16 and up can apply today. If you or someone you know is looking for a job with flexible schedules, great benefits, career advancement opportunities, and even scholarships, then have them stop by the nearest Randall store for more details. Randall's, it's just better. Run to Old Navy for revolutionary prices on summer's most stylish shorts. Tomorrow only, they're all 50% off for the whole family. All your favorite shorts, denim, linen, all of them. All shorts are 50% off tomorrow only. Run to Old Navy. Valid 630 excludes active.